firecrackers, it's Naomi, and here we go. Here we go. We're back in action. A lot of you've been writing, saying, when's the next episode coming out? Sneak us. Get it together. Get your next episode. Well, here we go. We've been, uh, we've been gathering up steam to release a whole bunch in a row for you guys. I can't wait to share them with you. And this week, we have writer-director Jessica Ellis on the podcast, and I'm thrilled. This is how this happens. Because I have such a friggin' fierce, kick-ass team, uh, the gal in charge of producing the podcast, but also social media and website, Sid Nielsen, reaches out to me and she said, hey, I noticed this gal, Jessica Ellis, has a new feature film that she wrote and directed. It's her first time. Do you want to interview her? And then because I trust Sid completely, and I think the world of her, I was like, of course, of course I want to interview Jessica Ellis. That sounds fun. So she set it up. I went over to Jessica's place over in Los Angeles, and we sat down and had a great chat. She wrote and directed What Lies West, which is a new coming-of-age adventure movie, and it premiered this month at the Twin Cities Film Fest in Minneapolis. Uh, Jessica has a super interesting life. She used Seed and Spark, which was created by Emily Best, which is a killer film and TV uh, crowdfunding platform, and she funded the film with the help of her production company and oh my god she has so many great insights and stories and advice we just had like a really deep conversation and there was some really big surprises for me too because you think you know you think about the regular trials and tribulations of putting together your first feature film as a director producer writer and then you throw in a couple of curveballs which Jessica went through oh my god did she ever and uh, survived it survived it. She's a fierce, fierce woman, and I so enjoyed speaking with her. Um, the film's beautiful. I, I just, I'm so in awe. You know, there's so many people that say, oh yeah, I want to write a film, or I'm going to write a film, and she just did it. She just did it. So I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Here's Jessica Ellis. This is Sponsor Love. Uh, so I finished watching your movie last night, Oh. and I thought, because this, this is your debut, right? This yeah. is your first writing and directing. Yeah. So what was the tipping point for you to go, I have to make this movie? <laughs> the election. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. You're not it, alone. That's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah, no, uh, it was like three months after the election, and things were, like, nobody knew how bleak it was going to get, but yeah. it just seemed like... This is not going to be good. And yeah. my husband and I have been working like just to the point of exhaustion. And we were we took a vacation. We went to my see my family, and we were like, we're not going to work. We're not going to do anything. And after like two days, I was like, we need to put something into the world that is not evil. <laughs> and like we could do it now. We could do it this summer. It would stop us obsessing over everything that is happening. Like yeah. it would be nice to finally do something. I mean, it kind of coincided with just like. It was like seven years after we finished grad school and we were like... What are we doing? Just dragging ourselves, working on everybody else's stuff. And yeah. so, yeah, it was kind of a... But definitely the impulse to be like, I want to make something that 
makes people feel good, that like addresses issues that are still real, but that are not about politics really. Yeah. And like, I want to do it now before I go insane. That's so interesting. I wonder if there'll be like a surge, you know how like on New Year's, nine months later, yeah. there's babies everywhere. I and think maybe so. there'll be a surge of positivity. I hope so. Creative projects. I mean, there's also like the Joker, so it may go the other and way. And that, <laughs> yeah. right. But, so, yeah. okay, so then you sat down, you're like, okay, I, I have to do this, because the, the film, it's, it's beautiful, it looks so beautiful, Thank and you. I don't feel like you cut corners, and as a first-time creator, you kind of have to cut corners sometimes. What did you find as you dove into the process that you were like, I'm not, I'm not going to let that get away from me, or I am going to cut that corner because that's how I have to be? There was, a, originally we wanted to use, we wanted to do a union production. We, mm-hmm. we knew, we went into it with the two main leads cast. Mm-hmm. We knew we wanted the girls. We were hoping to cast union around them, and we had a lot of problems with this ag rep that was assigned to us. and. They, they wanted to charge us like a $5,000 fee and possibly to reshoot everything that we did. in the Because the first half of the film we shot just with the two girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, you can Taft-Hartley them, but like, well, we want to charge you more for it. And maybe you should, we'll make you reshoot all of it. And we were like, well, guess we're not going to do that. Right. So we ended up going non-union. And, and honestly, it was fine. Yeah. Like that worked out fine. But um, yeah. I mean, but it's also, don't you feel like Hey, we're you're my union. I'm trying to create something here. I mean, it would have been nice. You would have thought they, you know, they would want to help the two girls get into the union and 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 do that. But you know, it's so amazing. I learned like when people actually go out of their way to help you, like that is an incredible and precious thing because mm-hmm. most people have no reason to and won't. Right. Yeah. So they were just one of the ones that were like. No. Not so much. Yeah. Yeah. So. And when, because you went to uh, UCLA. I went to UCLA and then AFI, yeah. And so when you were in school, did you always know this was your path? No. What did you think? No. I started out, I started as an actor, um, and then I didn't think I was pretty enough to get into college as an actor, so I I transferred to UCLA as a playwright, um, because I had started writing plays. And then, I, I liked playwriting, but I was kind of... I would get really frustrated by the fact that I rewriting did not seem to work for me because plays are so structureless. Mm. Like, there's not a formal structure. So it's kind of like, I don't know, this could be nine acts, it could be two acts. Right. Nobody can tell me how to make this thing better if I want to make it better. Like, I had no format. And I took a screenwriting class just to fulfill a unit, and I was like, oh, act structure, that's a thing. Right. Like, and suddenly I started realizing, like, oh, there are ways to analyze and... and fix your work if there's things you're not getting across that you want to and and so then then I started moving into screenwriting but it was really gradual and so does that like that makes me think you've got a very like analytical and creative mind that you need like structure but you also like to be able to mold that structure yeah very much yeah I think so I I when I'm writing my first drafts, I write very minimal outlines mm-hmm. and then just kind of blaze through. But I'm really undisciplined about rewriting because I just get frustrated. Yeah. Um, and uh, luckily, most of the time, I work with a writing partner who's really great at that, but I'm not. Um, and 
and it it just helped me so much to see like oh there's a path to fix things like right. there's a path to improve things you don't just randomly have to go in and change stuff and see if it works because that just drove me nuts yeah so I need a little I need like a square to work in and then I can do whatever I want inside the square yeah I get that and and so you've been working with the same writing partner the whole time we uh, started working together in what 2015 I think okay um, and we worked together like. 80% of the time. Um, like the movie, we didn't work together, um, although he read every draft and gave me notes on every draft and was there the whole time. But once in a while, there's just a project that like one of us is really into that mm-hmm. the other one's like, oh, I don't know if I get it. Like mm-hmm. do it, but I don't know if I get it. Um, and then we're just each other's kind of like support team and story yeah. editor. But yeah, um, he was the year ahead of me at AFI and everybody kept telling us that we would really like each other and both of us kind of had the reaction of like no we wouldn't I don't want to meet that person and oh. like we completely avoided each other for a couple of Interesting. years and then we met through Twitter and exchanged scripts and we were just like oh god damn it like, it's like creative tinder it really it really really was like and and immediately we met and just clicked and we're like best friends wow and started working together like a month or two and later. you're both still married which is nice no we're not married to each other no I mean two other people I am married to He's yeah. not married because that's a very like it's an intimate thing being creative together. It, so you it have is. To make sure that like your real life partner <laughs> is as I mean I get it because I'm married to my partner in crime like on stage and off stage. But uh, it's weird. It's it's it is an intimate relationship, especially when you're writing together yeah. because like you have to really work in tandem and and, and everything and be vulnerable about like secrets. Exactly. Like, this happened to me. I'm not going to not share that with you. Yeah. And it was a little weird. At first. Like, my husband and him, like, both kind of were like, what is this? What yeah. is happening? Sure. Um, but, like, as my husband, Sean, got to know Nick better, he was just like, oh, you guys have basically the same brain. Like, I get this makes sense. This is in no way a threat to me. Right. Like, this is just another you, basically. So That's uh, such a healthy conversation to have, though. It took a while. Like, like was, collaboration is hard anyway. It was, yeah. It was a really, like, a positive experience. Um and, and I think good for both of them, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. Yeah, and now, like, now they're friends. Now we all have board games tonight yeah. together. And, it's and the best. It's great, yeah. So when you, like, speaking a little bit about collaboration, I'd love you to explain your process with, uh, with what's your writer's part, writing part's name? Nick. Nick. Um, our process. Uh, well, we just, we just had a thing today where uh, I suddenly had an idea for a pilot, and we always just kind of approach each other and I had this dumb idea, like I'm thinking this. I love how you set it up with dumb idea. Yeah. You're like, I'm Ab- ready for it. <laughs> yeah, Don't absolutely. tell me it's dumb. I'll tell you that it's we, dumb. We have a history of liking each other's weirdest ideas. Okay. So it usually starts there. And then we tend to take a couple weeks and have like a few meetings where we're like, what is this? What could this turn into? Like, is this a thing? And also it's really important in there to gauge how enthusiastic we stay because mm-hmm. there's always like the first kind of orgasmic burst of creativity where you're like this is it I'm gonna put my whole it's life everything. into this yeah. and and then like with some projects that's it but you die very quickly so it's good for us to take a few weeks and be like is this really a thing yeah or is this just gonna fade out um and then we'll start I, I don't know we usually start with a couple of big concepts of what the story is and break around that. What do you mean big concepts? Uh, Like in this one, the idea was just like, um, 
a Parks and Rec style show about a community theater. Great. That's it. So like, and then the ideas as we were first talking about it were like, what what if they were doing something? They need to do a play per season that everybody knows but nobody is like intimidated by. Like, so like Death of a Salesman. What mm-hmm. if they did Death of a Salesman? Then like, so the themes of the season would be about disappointed expectations that you would work into that and from that I tend to work very thematically he tends to work through character so once I get a hold of like here's what our big theme would be here what we'd be talking about usually then he takes the lead on like here's the kind of people I can see in that world talking about that situation and where we could build conflict so it's a very um integrative process like we kind of develop theme and character and plot all at the same time uh, over like a month and then with something like this that would be like a half hour comedy we those when we're writing comedy we tend to stay in the room together and just if we, we write an outline and then blast through a first draft together wow. at the same time if we're writing a feature or a drama then we tend to write a very detailed outline which he loves and I hate and um, I think I'm your brain. I yeah. think I'm the per- like, oh, do we have to do that so much? And I'm like, you know, just. But then in, when you start writing it, it's so much easier. It's so much easier. It's because, yeah, because I'll get to like the third act and it will just be like conflict scene here. Yeah. And he'll have like nine beats <laughs> right. of exactly what yeah. needs to happen. Naomi so. says something funny here. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, I tend to write lines like that in my scripts a lot. Like, yeah. there should be a joke about something. Yeah, that's um, right. But that's good instincts. I don't think that's, I think like knowing the rhythm of your script is also good instincts when you're like, I know there's a joke. I don't know what it is. Yeah. It, it just becomes, as you get to know yourself better as a writer, it becomes really important to be able to have your own shorthand. Mm-hmm. They can just be like action something here yeah, I'll yeah. do that later like I have to keep going or I will run out Isn't of steam. Isn't funny because we so I think we so criticize ourselves for not being the doing a format like everybody else yeah. or like how, how are you supposed to do save the cat format and yet why don't you just do it the way you can work. Yeah. Do you know I, what I mean and if it works just to go joke here action here then fill in the blanks. Yeah it's it's really important for me because I tend to think of when I'm thinking of a scene I tend to think about like what is the essence what is the feeling like where do we want to be You're at the end yeah exactly mm-hmm. and that and that's so useful to me um it was especially especially used to me useful to me with what was west because I was writing for actors who had not worked on camera before they'd done theater and I knew I was going to have to write it with a lot more clues as to the interior state of the characters okay. just to make their job easier just to be like so what does that look like for you for me, it could be something like uh, Nicolette hangs up the phone. Oh, God, why did she call him? Like, something like mm-hmm. that in an action line that's just like, you don't need to ask, like, hmm, what am I thinking about? What am I doing? Like, it's right there. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, she's feeling embarrassed that right. she called her ex. Yeah. You know? You Tennessee Williams did. A little bit, <laughs> yeah. Which is not generally my my style, but I... new actors. Yeah, with newer actors and, and actors who I knew were going to be nervous doing this for the first time, I, it was so helpful to still be able to access my old retired actor brain and be like, what would be helpful to me here? Like, to just make it easy where I don't have to figure this stuff out yeah. and, and spend time worrying that I'm getting it wrong. Yeah. So you've hashed out, you've just kind of done the outline and puked out everything that you like and then what, what do you guys do next? Um, I, I mean after we after we get a draft down we usually sit on it for a little bit oh. it's it's we're both of the mindset where we're like no it's perfect everything's understandable like it's fine um, and usually 
after a couple of weeks of sitting on it, we'll do a pass just of addressing like things that we felt like we didn't quite nail. Mm -hmm. And then we like to send it out to a very small group of friends that we can trust and like people that we like. Nobody that we're professionally concerned about what right. they'll say about it, but just we like to get a gauge of like, is this working? Is our kind of core concepts coming across? Like, how is it playing? Yeah. Um, and then it just becomes a series of, of rewrites and, and notes and taking it further and further to different people each, each round. Yeah. How do you, so I don't know, I don't want to say this, but, um, how do you keep your confidence up as you go through those drafts? Oh, it's not, I mean, it's, it's, we take, we take turns having existential crises. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like right. we try to only do one at a time because otherwise we end up screaming at each other. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like this is such, I mean... You don't do these projects easily. No. Like they're, I mean, how, when did you start working on this script? For the movie? Yeah. Uh, we started in February 2017, and we shot in July. So yeah. you're going to live with a script for a long time. You better have some sort of investment. And then when you put it out there, it's like having a baby and having somebody going, that's a really ugly baby. <laughs> you just don't, and luckily not a lot of people find babies ugly, but... There are ugly babies out there. I mean, we've got to be honest about these things. Let's be truthful. Yeah, I don't... So how do you do that? The movie was a unique experience because it was just like a steam train. I don't know why I, I for some reason, suddenly had the energy to just be like, no, we're going to do this. We're going to get it done. We're going to do it now. Like, we will not stop until we are finished. Mm -hmm. Um, And... And... We just, it, it became a sunk costs thing eventually, where it's like, you get to a point where it's like, well, we're not going to stop now. Right. We've put our life, our savings account, our friend's effort, you know, especially once other people start giving you their time and their yeah. work and their effort, then you really owe them something. But for me, like the project was kind of, we got through the first half. So February to August when we shot, like was just steamrolling ahead. We got the first half shot in Sonoma County. And then we came home and we were supposed to shoot the interiors in October in LA. And we came home and I had to have open heart surgery. Oh my God. Um, yeah. That they, you knew? No. Emergency. I, yeah, it pretty much an emergency. I, I had had heart palpitations for several years and just started having some weird symptoms. And they did a, a, an angiogram on my heart and found that I had a birth defect that your coronary arteries are supposed to run around the outside of your heart and mine ran through my heart. So when my heart would beat, it would smash the artery. And like when teen athletes d die, yeah. this is often what they have. It's an actually a, a pretty common thing, but you never know it unless you do an angiogram. Um, so it was literally like I got home and a week later had the test. The next day found out there was a problem and the next day had open heart surgery. Wow. So <laughs> thank God that I had this to focus on because it gave me... You know, heart surgery is not easy, and the recovery is not pleasant. No. And it having the goal of like, we're obviously not going to shoot in October, but like as soon as possible. Like I am, you know, it's a six month recovery. Like on six months and one day, I'm going to be back behind the camera, and we are going to get this done. And and having that 
saved me from so much of a psychological breakdown about what was happening to me. I, I mean, the day I had surgery was the day we started our second crowdfunding round. And my husband told me that when I woke up oh from the God. surgery, the first thing I said was, so how is the campaign going? Wow. <laughs> like, which I still can't believe. Hey, I have to just take a little break, just a really, really quick break from my chat with Jessica Ellis, because I have to give a shout out to one of our sponsors. When we had our Toronto International Film Festival party in September, we had a lot that kept us going. We had big time love, like all of you folks that came out and supported or retweeted or commented on the photos. All of that is such is such big love for us and we so appreciate it. The other thing that kept us going was espresso and bombas from the Zaza Espresso team. OMG, it was good. Oh my God. I'm just thinking about those donuts right now. They're called bombas. If you ever get a chance to go over to Zaza's and have a bomba, it'll be like heaven in your mouth. It's so, so good. Uh, the energy that they brought to our party too, they were so enthusiastic and I don't know. I don't ever want to have an event that doesn't have the Zaza team there because they're just fantastic. They just opened up a new location in Yorkville on Cumberland uh, in Toronto and it's a gorgeous space with gorgeous people and they just had their grand opening. A bunch of our firecracker team went down there and had a great time. So check out some of the pictures from our team. Uh, Winnie, for instance. Oh my gosh, Winnie Wong had some great shots on a moped, which was super fun. And all the team had so much fun at their opening. We just adore them. So check them out at Zaza Espresso and send them some firecracker love. I mean, they bring us coffee. A lot of people, our team included. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Veronica. A lot of people can't survive without coffee. So thank you, Zaza, for being part of our TIFF party and being part of our world. You're the best. If I had had to, because I tend to be a very like internalized and, and person, introspective person, like if I had had the time to actually sit and contemplate how serious what I was going through yeah. was, I would still be sitting in a hospital room, I think, somewhere. But because it was like, no, 40 people are depending on me to get this done, like I must get up, I must keep going. That became the motivation. Yeah. Because so, um, you can go either way at a trauma like that. You yeah. could have like sat back and go like, oh, like nothing is as important as, like, we should go away on a cruise for six months yeah. at this point. You know what I mean? Like, you could go either way with your determination. It was an amazing, um, it was a confirming experience uh -huh. of, like, well, I'm doing exactly what I want to do because all I want to do is get out of this hospital bed and go back to doing this. That's so interesting. And I'll, I'll tell you a personal story because I, um, I had cancer 10 years ago. I had, like, oh, melanoma. Wow. So not, like, like... But Still cancer. Cancer. Like, it's yeah, it's, it's cancer. I always belittle it because I didn't have to do chemotherapy and it wasn't as dramatic as I've seen my friends go through. Mm -hmm. um, but the first thing I did when I came to was I got to get back to rehearsals. And so that was my goal. But everybody around me was like, "What's? shake your head. This isn't important. And I was like, this is all that's important. It's a me. clarifying experience. Yeah. And but it's I had to fight. I had to fight people to let me focus on what was going to get me through. Do you it's, know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of an amazing thing because 
I think people <laughs> have narratives about what kind of life-changing experience right. you should go through this and how you should do. handle People kept asking me, like, did you gain wisdom? And I was yeah. like, no, I gained a giant scar. Right. Like, wisdom is not really my department on this. Well, I mean, you probably didn't bring... I'm but sure they were did, asking me, like, the week after oh. the surgery. And it's like, I still have four IVs in my chest. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, I had my, one person go, like, you should be, like, carp the DM and, like, seize the day. And I was like, I was so angry at going through this. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, F the day. I don't care. Yeah. And then I had to kind of overcome that to get back to creativity. And sometimes when it's, like, that close to your face, you can't be wise about this. You have to just deal with the yeah. IV that's poking you or this lymph that you have to deal with. Pain is a... It, it's a it's a horrible experience, but it is an absolutely centering experience. Like yeah. you can't exist outside of the moment. I'm a really anxious person. I have an anxiety disorder, and like when you're in that much pain, you can't be thinking like, you know, oh, am I going to get an infection from this IV that whatever? Because all you have the capacity to deal with is that moment. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's a, it's probably a healthy experience if you're a person that like worries a lot about the future and how the outcome of things yeah. because you're just there. Does it just... change your mindset for that? I wish it had changed it a little more. <laughs> I wish it had fixed my anxiety. That would have been nice. What it it makes it easier to think of myself as a person who survives things instead of a person who's a victim of things. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, and yeah. and that's cuz it's I ha- I've had a lot of chronic health stuff and it's it always feels like oh my god why me why is this happening like and it it helped solidify views that I already had about like the pain that you experience and the things that you go through you're only upset about them or resentful of them or whatever you only get to do that if you survive them so if you're surviving them like that's a good sign. That's that's, that's something you lived through. Yeah. Like as awful as the experience may be, like you are still here. Yeah. So it didn't kill you. Yeah. Uh, and if that's what you're worried about, then look, there's one thing that didn't kill you that could have. Right. So in the middle, so in the middle of this, did you find a way of infusing that experience into this project? Uh, not, I mean, since the script was already in existence, not so much, but the script was already, you know, you watch the movie, so it talks a lot about anxiety, particularly in women. Um, and it, it was another thing where it's like, oh, it's, I feel like I knew what I was talking about before I really knew what I was talking about. (laughs) That's good. It's always good to be like, oh yes, I was right. Um, so it was helpful there. I mean, I felt by the time I got back to set, I just felt so much gratitude mm. to be there. Like, and I was so happy to be there. I was really terrified. I, I didn't train as a director. I never wanted to be a director. I always thought I would be a monster. Like, I was very afraid <laughs> that I would be horrible on yeah. set. Um, and well, nice like ploy to get people to listen to you better. Hey, oh, I had heart surgery. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was kind of helpful. <laughs> the 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 tough thing about the second half of shooting after this, the heart surgery was, um, it was about six months later, and when you have heart surgery, they wire your chest back together. And at about the time we started shooting, the wires started to poke through my chest. So the whole second half of the film, I couldn't raise my arms above my shoulder. I couldn't do anything to flex my chest muscles. And I was just like mainlining Advil. Um, 
But like, oh my god, it's a whole other movie. You know, like this director. I has, hate relying on it, but it's a really good story. It's a really good story. <laughs> but but again, like I felt so much stronger even dealing with that kind of pain on on the days we were shooting because it was like I am here. I lived through it. I'm so grateful that people showed up to keep working with me. Like I'm, I am, and I'm just so grateful that I can stand for 12 hours. That like I, I can do this because you come home from heart surgery and it's like takes about a month before you can walk a yeah. block or so. Like it's, it's a pretty intense early recovery, and then it's just getting a little more and getting a little more every day. So I don't know. My my experience making the movie was just one of incredible gratitude. Mm-hmm. Like I, I couldn't believe that it happened. Where do you think you'd get, I mean, replacing um, frustration or uh, anger for that for that happening to you with gratitude is such a healthy thing to do. Do you know who taught that to you? Like, I don't, I feel like that's something that you have to experience from watching somebody else deal with. I, yeah, you would think that. My family <laughs> tends to be sufferers. Yeah. Like, and, and I mean that in an empathetic way. Like, if someone in my family is in pain, like, my mom and dad will for however long they're in pain, just suffer. Right. Like, they will delve, and not in, like, a performative way, but they will feel so bad and want to help so much that there's just a real soaking in pain in my family right. that I kind of wanted to avoid. Um, and I've always kind of been a little bit outside of in my family. Like, I, I, most of them married very young, had kids very young, you know, wanted to stay in our hometown, which is a small place. And uh, I... I really wanted the opportunity to soak up kind of more of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in a way, it was, it was sort of the reverse of what I had experienced growing up. Like, I, 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 I didn't want to sit around and think about how miserable I was. I wanted to get out there and do something mm-hmm. out of respect for the fact that I wasn't that miserable anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. My husband is really, he was really ill as a child. He was born with severe asthma and spent most of his childhood in hospitals. And he is just now the most like hearty Teddy Roosevelt guy I yeah. know. Like he does not let anything stop him from what he wants. And I really admired that about him. Yeah. So he was a great person to have around during this because he yeah. was just like, yep, it's going to suck. You're going to do it. And it'll be hard sometimes. Well, let alone just the idea of let's, create a feature film yeah like that alone that step of like we can do this or I can do this I've never directed before but I can I know the vision clearly enough that I can and I want to do it yeah he was I am you know so many creative people the only way you survive is you get a partner who is completely supportive of what you're doing yeah I think so but I also think you have to turn to yourself like I feel like like how did I mean, you have to dig deep, right? Because I think that there is that level of, like, I have a great partner, and he's there in every capacity that I need him. But if I'm not there for myself, I'm kind of screwed. It's true. Yeah, I mean, you definitely can can get into that. I don't know. My dad has always called me a strange attractor, that I will just go through brief periods where I seem to have extraordinary willpower and then I need like a year where I do nothing and just survive so this was just one of those periods where it felt like everything in me was turned on and I had the energy and the capacity to do what I needed to do and I feel like I'm still recovering what I was gonna say is this your time now to like take because you're 
your projects you're just getting into festivals yeah we're just starting festivals it's still i mean like i feel like literally this month will be the end of production for us like we still were locking up music deals and stuff this week and and it will be it'll be interesting to see how long i really need to crash because while i've done this like i've needed to keep writing i've kept working with my partner like you know we we keep going but um I certainly don't have the energy at this moment to be like, all right, movie two. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to need a couple more months. Uh, yeah, so how do you, I mean, not everybody recognizes burnout and recognizes like time to recoup. And how do you recognize that for yourself? That is a skill I really credit my mom with teaching. Like, we were not raised we were raised to be very in tune in my family with our needs like if we wanted to take a day off of school we could right it was not a hassle like my parents are very anti-authoritarian yeah. and and they did not care like if they didn't care if we brought home a's they, it's not that they didn't care about us they were just like focus on what you are important at move at your own rhythm so mm-hmm. i feel really lucky that like knowing when I'm burned out and knowing when I have energy is a skill that I just grew up with. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't have that. Like my husband will work until he literally collapses and not eat for like four days while he's just in go mode. And I can't do that. I am a, I am an animal that needs like rest and food and like, and what do you do? What do you do in that rest and food time? I read a lot. I, I, Anytime I can get outside into nature is really mm-hmm. good. I don't do particularly well in LA generally just because it's not my landscape. Right. So like it's it's harder here. So anytime I can get the hell out of here. Where do you go? I my favorite place to go is Monterey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I the coastal environment for me is is really revitalizing and, and beautiful and I can just spend hours sitting on a bench staring at the ocean. I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's so Water gorgeous. Is so there. like leveling for me. I I don't know if I could fill up the bathtub and just look at that and feel like the same thing because it's hard. Like, oddly, we're so near a beach here in Los Angeles, but I don't go. It's not a good beach. It gen- I mean, like, maybe no. Malibu is nice, but you still have to deal with, like, driving and stress and parking maybe. and whatever. One of the things I love about Monterey is that the, the town is built literally to the waterline. It's integrated. Because I just feel like it's so easy when you live in a city to forget that you're part of an ecosystem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you're there and, like, outside your doorstep is an otter like hanging out you're like oh yeah i belong to this world like i'm a i'm a part of this 100 percent. so that's hugely so reading nature reading and nature and and just honestly doing nothing just watching west wing reruns just watching parts and rec (laughs) like i need to shut off and it's difficult because you can get into a narrative where you're like i'm lazy i'm being lazy this is it right then you go am i being am i depressed i watched like uh, back-to-back Mrs. Basil at this point. Exactly. Or am I recuperating? Yeah, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to be, you're a cell phone. Like, you have to plug in for right. a while and just not do anything and just charge your little batteries back up. And, it, yeah, that was one I had to work through in therapy quite a bit was the idea that I'm not lazy when I'm yeah. doing that. I need that. Yeah. Like, that's important. I know, and it's a weird thing, like, the lazy factor, right? People saying, oh, don't be lazy, don't get active. And... What is laziness? Like, you can sort of say that if you're watching West Wing or Westworld or whatever West, do a lot of West Something with lots of West. Yeah, Yeah, it's an important direction. But, like, you're actually taking information in and getting creative inspiration. Yeah, it's really, really true. And, you know, it's a very, it's a privileged thing to be at because it's like, if I had to work at a 7 Eleven, I can't be like, I don't know, I think I'll take three weeks off and watch 
Parks and Rec all the way through. You know, it's, that's another thing where it's like, thank God I have a partner who makes more money and than I do and is willing to let me sit on a couch for three weeks and not get mad at me about it. Um, And then how do you get uh, inspiration? Where do you find that? Oh man, it just, it just shows up. My, my favorite fiction writer, Robin McKinley, refers to it as the story council. Mm-hmm. Like that one day the story council will just drop an idea into her head and then because she works for them, she has to go and write it. Right. And like, I know That's great. there I like are, that. I will get like germs of an idea and be like, yep, in three years I'm going to know what the hell this is about. So I'm just going to file that somewhere in a note to myself yeah. and wait for it to mature into something. But, but then like today... Literally, I tweeted a joke about a community theater and then within 10 minutes was texting my writing partner being like, mm, we have to talk about this. This is a thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, Inspiration, I wish I was one of those people sometimes that could be like, well, I just write every day. And even if I don't have an idea, I sit down and I write for an that's hour. I write exactly 1,700 words mm-hmm. and then I go run. And I'm like, no, that's no. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how it works. But I feel like my ideas are as, as good as anybody's, so the method isn't as important as like, as long as the ideas keep coming. Yeah. I will find something that since I've worked with my writing partner that we've identified is that our inspiration seems to be seasonal. Oh, interesting. We've found that summer hits and we have no ideas. Right. We have nothing. And I swear to God, it's a product of the school year and like being used to getting to June and being like, well gonna do nothing for three months like not gonna think not gonna be creative going to go outside and play in a sandbox for a while like it, it never fails that we just die to stop and for the first couple of years we were we had crises about it we were like oh my god is this it can we never get ideas and then we started noticing like the minute it turns into like october we're suddenly we have nine ideas interesting yeah so do you just let yourself off the hook during the summer i'm starting to yeah. i'm starting to try i still tried to write a new script this summer but it kind of burned very low and and i had to just be like okay well maybe when my fall motivation comes when i get my new pack of crayola markers right like I i'm know. going back it to school feel like that. yeah it'll 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 kick back on and i can get it done and it's yeah. like literally this week finally it was like okay now i can move forward on this project i'm firing again <laughs> yeah yeah it's a really it's weird so this wasn't your vision this this journey that you're on writing directing definitely not so now that you've done it do you think that that there's no other vision that this is exactly what you need to do this is your destiny quote I don't I mean you're an actor you like one of the fundamental things you learn is there's never one thing you no. could do and and so like you know in 10 years from now if I decide I want to own a bed and breakfast in Vermont like I I guess I could try to do that and that would be okay but I loved directing so much yeah. more than I was expecting to I really thought I was gonna hate it and I it was so much fun I loved actually having the responsibility of needing to set the tone on set because mm-hmm. I've been on horrible yes. awful sets and I was desperate not to make that happen and you know my desperation paid off because it was like I, I was super relaxed for the most part yeah. like we didn't we made the hard and fast rule not to hire any assholes and but sometimes they hide I they they do <laughs> did you have to fire anybody we didn't have to fire anybody. No, I don't think. I, I hope not that yeah. I can remember. Yeah, no, we didn't have to fire anybody. There were some people we were like, Hi, <laughs> Hi honey. I'm sorry, I'm going to No worries, no worries. You're now in it. 
Um, like there were some people who were like, well, we're glad they're only here for three days. But right. like, but for the most part, like what I loved the most was our camera team, which Sean, because he was our DP, kind of concocted out of people he knew and people he'd worked with on different things are now like a little unit and like they are working on jobs together constantly oh, and yeah. I'm so glad that like if they had had a horrible experience on our set I doubt right. that would happen so I feel like okay good we built a little family mm-hmm. that and that meant the world to me so. so what were some of the things that you're like okay so no assholes were was there anything else that you set up on your own set because I love that idea I've always in my brain I'm like when I have my show, when I do my film. Good and plentiful food at all of times. Um, you know, and just, it was an 80% female crew. And that was... Was that by choice? Yeah. That it was, it was, I mean, it was hard on occasions. I remember when we, we advertised for a sound person on set, uh, we got, I think even in the ad, we were like, it's a female-centric shoot. We're working with mostly female crew. We love female applicants. Not being like, don't apply, man. We got 26 male applicants and one woman. <laughs> Um, What's going on? I, it's just... What well, do you think? There's not a lot of female sound techs. You're absolutely right, I, but I, why not? I, I mean, I think it's always the thing of just like very early on in the development process, women are not encouraged to go into it. Yeah. And so they don't think of it as a path they can follow right. if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but we women hired the way one. better listeners. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know. I, there is no reason. I, I mean, I guess if you're like tiny and, and not super strong, maybe you're not the right person to be a grip. Because of the qu- equipment? Yeah. Oh, we, yeah, but I mean, but like, I've seen some lady, yeah. ladies on set that are, they're like fantastic. Yeah, one of, our, one of our camera ops who I've been following her on Instagram, she was pregnant recently and like was on set until weeks before she gave birth and she's just holding the camera on top of her bump and it's like, great. there's no reason. There's yeah. no reason. And it made for such a collaborative I mean, it, it helps contribute to the no assholes scenario. Yeah. Not that women can't be assholes, but there is, since all of them have had to walk a harder path to get into their fields, it it tends to eliminate the like, oh, I have to be the coolest person here and the most knowledgeable. Like, I've never really met too many women on set that have any kind of an alpha complex. Yeah. And it was really pleasant. I mean, like, and... I made it very clear that of anyone on that set, I understood the least technically of anyone. I'm not a technical director. I yeah. don't understand how shots work. Camera, Sean tries to explain cameras to me. It sounds like he's talking in Swedish. Yeah. Like I try to understand, but it's just not how my brain works. So I think that helped our camera ops and, and everyone kind of be like, know that it was okay to make suggestions to mm-hmm, me and mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to be like, how dare you right. question my knowledge? Like, it was like, no, I don't did know Did you come across about. that kind of like, did you have power struggles on set that you had to deal with? Mm, well, it's very difficult working with your spouse sure. that closely on set because you have a relationship dynamic yeah. where you're two equal partners and the relationship between a director and a cinematographer is not quite that equal. No. It's, it's interesting close. though, because my husband and I work a lot together, and I've noticed it works best when one of us goes, it's your show, and just step away. Like, there's things that I do with the firecracker department that he comes and supports, and he goes, what can I do? And I'm like, set up the mic. Exactly. But then there's other things when we're doing it together, and you definitely have to define your roles so that we're not like, well, I want the mic here. Well, I want the mic here. Yeah, we never, I don't think we ever got into... A fight on set. There was one thing that there was confusion about that I was like, let's just go in another room and figure this out. Like, because I did not want to bring marital tension to the crew, because that's just rude and awkward. Yeah. You know? But like, 
we, there were definitely a few fights at home when we've been working 14 hours yeah. and it's three in the morning. But, you know. How do you not take all that personally? You do. You do I take all that personally. You go to couples therapy. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you can't not. Yeah. I, I think I think all couples are going to have communication problems. And if you add working together on top of just living with each other, it's a whole, it's a whole other layer. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't think anybody who's seen you naked is going to have an uncomplicated relationship with you on set. (laughs) There's always an extra layer as opposed to like Sheila who you hired off of, you know, a website. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so it was, it was difficult. There was stuff that needed to be worked through, but at the end of the day, both of us have to make our day and that always wins on set to me. Like you have to get it done no matter what problems there are is there is there a moment or is there a shot that you're most proud of in that in this movie uh yeah you know interestingly the the last day of shooting because we we shot most of the exteriors in sonoma county then we shot interiors in la and then we did a three-day pickup back in in our exterior locations and the last day was just me sean and the two main actresses nicolette and chloe because I had looked at all the exterior footage and I was like, we need more of them just wandering around and hiking. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have all these scenes where they're hiking, but I need more, like, we, we never had time to just be like, oh, girls, just walk up this mountain or walk up this trail or whatever. So we spent a whole day driving just the four of us to, like, 12 different locations and shooting little bits of scenes and little additional stuff. And there's a, there's a moment in the film where the girls walk up to an opening in the forest and Nicolette is like, wait a minute, we're going in, in there? Like, it's it's dark. And Chloe's just like, adventure, and, and like points her into the, the forest. And that was improv. That was done on the spot. It has the shot as this gorgeous wide of Nicolette walking into the dark forest. And it has such a, almost a Lord of the Rings quality to right. it to me. Like, yeah. it feels like, oh, we're really going into the woods. And it was just so nice to have the four of us who started the project together. That was like our last shot. Oh, yeah. And it ended up being a really emblematic shot for the film. And so I, I think of that one immediately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there was a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, when you're not a technical director, you just walk in when they're done setting up and be like, oh my God, how did you guys do this? Yeah. And it's always cool. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a We're neat experience. Movies. Yeah, and yeah. It, it feels like someone set up a birthday party for you, but it's day for night lighting. Yeah. It's, it's super cool. There's sometimes directors talk about um, going through a personal journey of their movies. And so like the, the theme of adventure in this movie, do you feel like you worked through something personally through this movie that you no longer, either you still need to do another movie about it or you feel like you can move on? It it meant so much to me to get to talk about how anxiety has worked in my family because the women in my family are mostly very subject to anxiety disorders that get bigger over time. We were not, my mom and you know going back, they're not big on therapy or mm-hmm. treating things. And so... You know, in the case of my mom, I've watched as she got older. Like, when I was little, she did everything. She drove us everywhere. She, you know, was a super mom. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of had an empty nest thing. And uh, and then I've watched her world get smaller and smaller as kind of phobias have taken over yeah. her life. Um, and I have seen the reflections on that on, in all of her children because I'm the youngest of five. Um, and my siblings are considerably older than me. So like I got to watch everybody kind of, it was like a ripple effect watching 
now suddenly someone's afraid of this too. And now somebody's suddenly, and it, it just, so getting, I, I don't realize, I, I don't think I realized when I started this how much I was going to talk about my family and figure out what that journey of learning that anxiety is something that you have to fight and keep fighting and have to confront if you're going to even keep up in the battle, because you may not win the battle against it. You can't just magically make an anxiety disorder go away. Mm-hmm. But like you learn to fight it and to recognize it and you stop your world from getting smaller by doing that. And that putting that into words, something that I was already psychologically dealing with through therapy and, 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 and kind of living with, um, meant a lot to me, uh, and and luckily only one of my sisters is mad at me about it. <laughs> yeah. is that, I was going to ask you. So is that she's? They've all seen the movie. Yeah, before? my mom loved it. My mom really thought it was it was wonderful. Um, my Chloe, the, the actress who plays Chloe, is my niece, um, and her mom is a yoga teacher like the mom in the movie, but they're very different. Like right. Claire, my sister Claire has has anxiety problems, but Claire is like. She's a lot more like the Chloe, character of Chloe in the movie. Like, she is a fighter. Right, she will right. not let anything, like, touch her. If she's scared of something, she'll do it twice as hard. You know, and, and that's always impressed me about her. But because I wrote the character as a yoga teacher right. and as Chloe's mom, like, after the screening we did in Sonoma County, she was like, hmm, going to run you over with my car now. Yeah. Um, but hopefully she's not, she's not. She had read the script. She had had the script. She had been to set. Yeah. She knew it was coming, but I think it was a little difficult seeing it. Yeah. Alive. Um, How does your anxiety um, show itself? Uh, lots of really stupid, inexplicable phobias, uh, oh, yeah. especially about health stuff. Because when you have chronic health conditions that are kind of nebulous, yeah. like you already are in a battle of like, am I crazy or is this real? And like doctors are sort of saying things to you constantly like, yeah, you know, your stomach's kind of weird, but there's nothing super wrong. And you're like, what that? You can't judge the accuracy of symptoms and how severe anything is. And that really knocked my barometer off. Of yeah. So health-wise, I do very poorly. And also food allergies is a thing that, that comes up for me. Like I'm constantly sure that I'm allergic to foods and kind of cutting them out. Yeah. Because like I'll eat something and it, my mouth will get slightly itchy. And I'll be like, oh my God, is this it? Is this right. anaphylactic shock? Is this... So um, for me, my anxiety is really traceable. I was in a car accident when I was 17 and I broke my back. Um, and Wow. Yeah. You're lucky it took you walking. I know. Um, it, took a, it took a while. And... Uh, like it took a while to get walking again? Yeah. And for years, like if I would trip or something, it would go out and oh I wouldn't be God. able to walk for like three days. It's, it's mostly fine now, but like I hadn't learned how to drive and ended up with PTSD around driving and a lot of my like anxiety kind of tics started at that point and they've waxed and waned through the years like there are times that I'm not afraid of anything and there's times that I'm afraid of everything so it always it's an exhausting fight against anxiety so I never I've never been the type of writer to be like I will take my life and put it into this script but this one because it had to be written so fast and it just ended up being super personal in terms of dealing with anxiety manifestations yeah. I mean what's your what's the story you need to tell next I don't there's a lot of them I don't I, personally I'm not sure what the story is I mean Nick and I have like a compendium of, of scripts 
right now that like any one of them were like, please make this, yeah. please let this this happen. But in terms of a, a personal story, um, there's a script I'm working on that very much centers around. It's it's based on a, a true story. There was a discovery in a, another town in my home, near my hometown of a locked safe buried in concrete under a movie theater from the Fantastic. 30s. And as far as I know, they still haven't been able to open it. And uh, I got really interested in the idea of what would happen to the t- a town if there's a mystery box. Like, what does everybody... I hate mystery box scripts. And I hate mystery box writers. Yeah. Sorry, J.J. Abrams. Um, <laughs> he listens. He's an avid Oh, great. Uh, so there goes my Star Wars. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't dig that stuff at all, but I really liked the idea of um, the mystery box as a way to explore the way people exploit things we don't know. Yeah. The way claiming to have knowledge that nobody else does and using that to sell whatever you're selling. Right. That, that's a really interesting story for me, um, and, and that's a script I'm messing with at this point and would really like to tell and it's another it would be set back in the same area I like the idea of kind of shooting more in the area I grew up because it's beautiful it's northern California um and it's just gorgeous up there and I never have felt there's a lot of movies made up there and I never feel like they actually look like the area right so that so now you're in your you're in festival mode yeah so money wise like how did you I mean this is the thing I think there's there's a couple things that you've done that most people don't. A lot of people say, I want to write a feature, and then they don't. So you've done that. And then they write the feature, and they go, I want to make it, and then you've done that. And then now it's festivals, and it's already it's getting a premiere uh, coming up, right? Yeah, Twin Cities Film yeah. Festival, yeah, yeah, in a couple weeks. So how, how do you navigate the business end of your creativity? It's terrifying. It's another, it's another area I have no idea where I'm doing. So I do what I always do, which is I try to find smart people and ask them yeah. for help. Um, in this case, on, on terms of the whole post process, I got hooked up through Twitter. Twitter is the entire reason this movie got made mm. because before it ever started, I sort of amassed a decent following on, on Twitter. Um, because I have no life and I just spend it all on there. Wait a second. So you just have like thousands, tens of thousands of followers from you just engaging with people. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought it was strange because it wasn't like I had a book. I hadn't done anything, but I, I went viral enough times that like every time you kind of pick up a thousand or so followers right. and it, and it, I, I initially. Without being naked. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Only once. No, uh, no, I initially went viral the first time for yelling at Michael Moore about something. Oh, interesting. Uh, which I don't recommend. It was a really weird, it was during It was during the 2016 election, it was like a few weeks before, and he came out with this whole thing about like, we should elect a woman because women never start wars and women never cause problems and, and, and all of this. And it's like, well, yes, we should elect Hillary Clinton, but this is misogynistic garbage. Yeah. Like... Like, women, your support is actually misogynistic. Yeah, like, yeah. women are on the boards of oil companies, and there were women commandants in World War II. Like, this is infantilizing women and making them feel like if they have a bad impulse or if there are parts of them that are bad, that they are broken mm-hmm. and not functioning as women. So I went on this whole rant. It went viral. And the weird thing was it went 
like cross demographic viral because people who mm-hmm. hated Michael Moore loved it. Right. But also people who hated Hillary Clinton <laughs> liked it because right. they thought it was an attack on it her. A wild mix of followers. So like now. it was like they talked about it on like the Jimmy Dore show. It was it was so insane. And 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 from that, like I picked up a ton of followers and and then, you know, the film community on Twitter is super active mm-hmm. and really friendly and really open. So by the time we started crowdfunding, because we raised about half of our funding through crowdfunding, like... What was your overall budget? Our overall budget ended up being about right around 100 grand. Great. So you did half of it through crowdfunding. We did, yeah. We did, we did about half of it through crowdfunding, and then the rest was literally our entire savings account. Yeah, right. uh, and a couple of, of small investments. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, having... You've got to figure about 1% of your following on social media will actually give you money. Right. So even if you have 20,000 followers, that is not a large amount of people that are going to pay attention. Yeah. Um, and so that was a brutal experience, and crowdfunding is hard. Hard. Really hard. Really, really yeah. And awful. I mean, you and just... awful. Like, you just constantly feel like you're going... With your hand out. To oh God, we were making just like, stu- and it becomes your full time job. Yeah. So if you don't believe in your project, oh, do not do it. No, do not do it. And yeah. if you do, be prepared to devote the entire campaign to engaging constantly. Yeah. Like you can't let people alone for a day. Um, yeah. And even so, even on that, we got lucky that a few huge donors showed up and were extremely kind right like you know we wouldn't have been able to do it if it was just everyone gave us five dollars yeah but it has to be worth it like you're not gonna put your savings into a movie that you don't believe in it's it's true um and you know you are in this business long enough with nothing happening you do reach do or die points where it's like you know i don't particularly like living in la this is not my kind of style of place to live and it's like it hits a point where you just are like why am I doing this what benefit am I getting out of being here killing myself getting rejected over and over and over and over like I need to do something to even remind myself that I still want to do this well yeah I feel that's a really good point because I feel like LA really challenges your craft or your dedication to your craft yeah because it's such a business here and so every day you can wake up and you can you can hustle, but that's not your craft. And suddenly, I don't know, how do you, how did you make sure that the light was still on your craft when you're doing all this business around this movie and around your career as you as you move it forward? Yeah, I mean, it helps that uh, as a writer, I I feel in service to the story. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really, I know it's kind of bullshitty to talk about like the idea of. Like, calling or a whatever but it, I don't think so I think we should talk about it more you think, okay. I do I think that the amount of time that we've just talked about money we should talk about this as much because I don't think we do yeah I, I mean to me when I write something those characters are people and suddenly now I owe them my best act, possible work mm-hmm. I, I owe them every effort it, it breaks my heart to think of the characters that are stuck on my laptop in scripts that will never right. get made, mm-hmm. you know, and stories I will never get to tell. Um, and, and that's a particular heartbreak of the screenwriter because you can write a book. You can self-publish a book. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> you can't make a movie all by yourself. Well, not, I mean, you can't. Like, you can at different levels, yeah, I, different levels. But that's just it right now with, like, social media and phones. You actually can do a lot more than we used to be able to do. Right. So if you have the instigation and if you have the passion for a story, 
fucking absolutely do it, yeah and if you have the right kind of story yes. like I, I have it I have an unfortunate history of writing experience like expensive period right. epics right that like I can't make in my living room right I yes. wish I could like this is the first story where I was like and even this had 37 locations oh my god which, so many locations well I made I am looking for ones that were like oh yeah she's repeated that one but nope I I made the mistake of thinking of the outside as one location. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I'd be like, they're just, they're, they're walking around the lake. That's one location. No, that's 12 locations. They're just all in one park. Yeah. Like, you have to move everything every time. So I made still some pretty fundamental errors doing this. But, like, it's a big difference then. Well, it's not an 18th century pirate movie. So... Yeah, that's that's for the... That's more Bigger doable. budget coming yeah. your way. Yeah. And that's what you hope. Like, you yeah. hope that... The first little one leads to the next slightly bigger one, which, if I was a white man, then would lead to Star Wars. But, you know, for me, it would probably lead to the same budget level forever. Are you Um, okay with that? No! (laughs) No! I I want a Marvel movie. I want to make Jurassic Park. Like, I'm I'm sick of our big movies primarily being told by white guys in their 30s and 40s. Primarily, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the few exceptions are always interesting. Like... When we get a Black Panther, when we get Wonder Woman, you know, something like that, they're at least, they're totally different in some ways that you wouldn't expect. And my God, I just, I I don't need the fifth Captain America movie by a white guy in his 40s. I don't. Do you have a strategy for your career? Uh, no. My, <laughs> my strategy is work as hard as I can making the scripts. I mean, like, occasionally, my writing partner and I will go back and forth on, like, well, we really ought to do something as marketable as possible. But then we get bored, and right. we don't finish it, and it's not good. It's finding the benzene rings where it's marketability and passion overlap. Yeah, and, and also, like, if you are a person who thinks of yourself as in service to the story, stories pop up and take you in, like, our script that is done, we had a script that in 2018 was top 50 in the nickel. It was a script that neither of us had any idea why the hell we wrote it. It's a, it's a hard-bitten, almost entirely male cast, Western, set on a moving train. And, like, other than the period setting, none of this is what we write. We don't write hard action. Right. We don't, you know, we, we tend to do female characters primarily. Like, and for some reason, that script hit on at Nickel. But it didn't hit on anywhere else. Right. So it's like now we're not pigeonholed as Western writers. So until we sell something, we don't feel a super strong need to brand ourselves. Right. Because like right now, our specs that are out right now are a contained comedy, a superhero parody pilot, uh, and and the Western. And like to an agent, that looks really kind of schizophrenic. Right. But if we only need one of them to sell and we can tailor ourselves at that point. Yeah. But like, since we're not having any success anywhere, we might as well just keep writing what we want to write. Right. So do you have a vision that you kind of go, okay, well, this is going to go to festivals and then I'm going to take a little break, recharge, and launch into this, like, I don't know, like envisioning your steps to directing a Marvel? <sighs> I wish I could. I mean... Or your steps to like taking some time running a B&B. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, do you have that kind of strategy? Not really, no. I, 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 it would be nice to have the optimism <laughs> to think there's another step, but I don't know. One of the consequences of having heart surgery is that you realize like you are not in charge of your schedule in yeah. terms of life. And uh, 
I may never write another script I want to direct again. It's, mm-hmm. it's possible. I, I try to take as much stress off of myself in terms of dictating where I need to go next mm-hmm. so that I can stay in tune with what I want to do next. That's a great, that's tough. Yeah, it's really hard. It's and it, it may not be a good idea. Like, it, it might not be productive, but I've just never been a very good, very good at scheduling. Yeah. I just, I just walked that line of um, strategy and goals and then missing the creative input. So the goal, I'm a good producer and I can produce. I, I love producing. It's mm-hmm. a passion of mine. But it outweighs sometimes the creative journey that I want to be on. Yeah. Well. I think if I have a goal for the next project, it is to not be involved in producing yeah. ever, ever again. Yeah, that's another hat to wear. That has been the drag of, of this is, you know, since it was my baby, like everything, even though we had a great producer, Jen Milliman, and Sean, my husband, as producers, like every decision came down to me and that made me want to die right. a lot yeah, of the, yeah. that is soul sucking for me. I envy people for whom that's really exciting and they feel, you know, organized and accomplished. And like, I've seen all the paperwork that goes into this and it's insane. And, and it's just like, if I have to make all of the contacts with music places, we're trying to license things from again and research caterer and mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I, I will explode. Yeah. Like it was good that I did not know how, much I was getting into when this started because yeah. if I had I never would have done it yeah I know sometimes that's the ignorance the blissful ignorance right just yeah. moving forward yeah I, and and it's good because it traps you into positions where you have to make decisions yeah and it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong what matters is the decision gets made on on stuff so there's no time for waffling and yeah. writers like to waffle so right. you know it was probably the only way this was going to get finished um, I have to wrap it up, and I, I usually wrap it up by asking what's inspiring you these days, whether it's a book or a show that you're watching or a podcast you're listening to or music or art. Oh, this is, oh no, this is going to be one of those questions that completely stumps me. Let That's me, okay. Let me think for a second. We can also edit this part out when you're thinking. <laughs> but like, maybe something that you, I mean, it could be anything. I, you know, it could be a show, a live show, anything like that. I have been, this is weird, I have been reading a lot of fairy tales lately. Oh. It's weird. It started out as a tactic I was using to go to sleep. I found that telling myself fairy tales that you know the ending, like you know the basic plot of Cinderella, sure. right? Yes. So if a way I was getting to sleep was I would start telling myself the story of Cinderella and be very specific about my word choice and very specific about, you know, just the sentence structure and stuff until I fell asleep. But now I, I've started to think like, why are suddenly fairy tales becoming important in my brain? Yeah. So I've started downloading a bunch of collections from different places all over the world and reading them. And I'm just, I have stuck on the idea and I don't know if I'm gonna do anything with it of how so many fairy tales are about women getting lost and how they get found. Yeah. You know, they're real Saved. survival. Sometimes, yeah, and sometimes it's by themselves and sometimes it's it's other people. But just that we have needed for centuries these stories of like, hey, women, life is going to throw you into a forest and you are going to have to find some way to get out. Maybe it's through luring a prince. Maybe yeah. it's through killing a witch. 
Like there's something, and I I find that I feel like we're on the verge of a revolution in fairy tales. Yeah. Like it feels like there's something in the social consciousness that needs that concept. There's a darkness in fairy tales that are so like you've read all the Grimm's. Oh stuff, yeah. The the versions of like Sleeping Beauty that are nothing like what we know now. Well, and what I really love is I've been noticing like the difference between Western and Eastern European fairy tales yes. are like Western European fairy tales. Like you go into the forest and there's a rabbit that helps you. Eastern European fairy tales, it's like no, you're gonna die. Die. And you, it's your damn fault yeah. for going into the forest to begin with. Baba Yaga is there with a yeah, ex- yeah. Baba Yaga is amazing. She's gonna get you. Yeah, and, and I, those are my fairy tales. Growing up, like because I'm Lithuanian, my father would read me Russian fairy tales, yeah. and they were always like, ah, that's like, awful, like just like the worst thing to fall asleep. But to. it's incredible to think but, of that cultural yes. distinction, and it, yes. and and I think we're living in the Eastern ones right now. I, sure. I don't think we're in an enchanted forest. No, no. Um, you know, one of our favorite things at Firecracker Department is to uh, talk about what people are working on and then ask them how we can help. So what's something that we can do for you as a community? I, I, I am, hmm. we are, you know, actively searching for distribution on, on my film. Um, we have our world premiere coming up at Twin Cities Film Festival for What Lies West, but then we don't know what's next. Uh, we've been getting rejected from a lot of film festivals. And I think it's largely because we have no name cast mm-hmm. and it's a two female lead story. And it's a very sweet and sincere story. It yeah. is not edgy in any sense of the word. Yeah, except for that uh, car chase you have at the Oh, yeah, the like one car chase. The one, and the one scene with the bear. The, but the, other than that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but other than that, um, so anything anyone can do to help us get this movie to more people and more places yeah. would be incredible. Yeah. Because that's a new path for us. So even, like, because that's the other thing with in our group, I kind of go, you don't have to do everything, you just have to do something. So even if you go over to your Twitter and follow yeah. and like support the festival journey that you're on. Absolutely, yeah. Following following my Twitter because that's generally where you're going to get news about the movie, which is Baddest Mama Jamma, um, which I did not think about when I picked the name <laughs> it's like too seven late now. years ago. I know. Uh, and uh, retweeting anything we say about the movie. If you know anyone in Minneapolis, please tell them to come see the movie at the Twin Cities Film Festival on October nineteenth. Um, and uh, yeah, just. If you know programmers, send them my way. Yeah, what lies west. Go see it. Go see it. Um, My final question for you is advice you would have given your younger self. Uh, You're always going to be scared, and that means you have an opportunity to be brave. That's fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for the treat. Yeah, this was talk to you forever. I know. I love doing podcasts. Yay. They're so fun. Isn't she the best? Jessica Ellis, you gotta follow her and find out what she's doing next. Go follow her at Baddest Mama Jama. And also let us know what you thought of my chat with her. I'd love to hear some feedback. I am such a fan. Some people write to me in the email world. Some people send me like an Instagram note, but I love it all and we always respond to everybody. So thanks so much for your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Even just a few words. Come on, just a couple. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about. Now, don't forget, for those of you in Los Angeles, we have just started a monthly script department reading series, and that is an opportunity to hear scripts written by women and female-identifying artists and just support their process. Some people have come and read their pilots that are finished. Some people have read, like, a couple pages from a new feature that they're working on. But it's really a chance to put something out into the public, hear some feedback, and then take it to the next level. 
Because we just love that. I can't wait to find out where some of these films are going. If you have a script that you would love to hear out loud, please send it along to us, firecrackerscriptdepartment at gmail.com. That's long, but that's how it goes. Firecrackerscriptdepartment at gmail.com. Now, if you have a script that you would love to hear out loud, or if you're an actor and you want to be cast in this reading series, please reach out to us. We would love to have you part of our community. Go to firecrackerscriptdepartment at gmail.com and send us your scripts. Send us your resume. Send us your link so we can bring you into the community. We'd love to have you part of it. We're having so much fun reading these scripts in front of people and the discussion afterwards is so electric and inspiring and we'd love to have you part of the community. So come on along. Don't forget to do all the things to keep us going like share and subscribe comment review and subscribe on iTunes and subscribe to our newsletter all those things really help us out so much and you can find all the links and everything else at firecrackerdepartment.com big big firecracker shout out to my core firecracker team who I couldn't do any of this without them without their words of encouragement without their hours of effort without their positive energy they're the best so big thanks to Anna Gustafson, Monique Madrid, Joanne Boland, Farah Marani, Deanna Moffat, Chelsea McKenzie, Naomi Wright, Emily Churchill, AJ Edmonds, Veronica Martin, Vicki Breer, Laura DiMaggio, Arwen Humphreys, and Winnie Wong. And I saved the best to last, Sydney Nielsen. Oh my God, I hope everybody has a Sydney Nielsen in their life. She is responsible for the podcast production as well as our social media. So give her some Big love, big love for all the fantastic work she's doing. This podcast was edited and produced by Sydney Nielsen, so if I don't have any flubs in my sentences, it's because of her. And she happens to also curate the Ignite Club, which is the club for book clubs and movie clubs and music clubs and anything that you're just loving lately and you're inspired by. So drop her line. Tell her what you're listening to. Tell her the music that's making your day. Tell her the podcast that you're looking forward to on your morning commute. The show that you can't binge enough times around. Oh my God, how many times can you binge something? And let's get chatting about it. She just might bring it up in next month's newsletter. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening and for contributing and for reaching out and all of that stuff. You really are the best. This is one of my favorite things to do, and it's because you're here. So go on out there. Be bold, be brave, be creative, and then share it with us. I'd love to see what you're creating. See you next time on the Firecracker Department.